0: Well, good morning, everyone. And we are here at last. If you started uh, on Facebook or anywhere else that you see us, you would have been there at 8.45. We weren't. Apologies. We really had some last-minute technical difficulties. And I went back in the, the back tech room to check on that, and it was a pressure cooker, I could tell you. So I really applaud the guys for working it out, getting it there. We're a little bit late, but we are here. And I also want to welcome that we have some parents of children that are here for in Kids TV. I've got people in the auditorium. Yay! <laughs> so yeah, so you can hear them. They're, they're sitting down the back, but it's so good to actually have. I feel like the rallies. We've all got together again. You know, it's just it's so good. So um, I've got the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you today. And we're going to continue in the same kind of stream that Pastor Jack's been preaching. And our theme this year is love does and how God loves us so I want to read our theme scripture from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says mostly what God does is love you keep company with him and learn a life of love observe how Christ loved us his love was not cautious but extravagant he didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us love like that And so that's wonderful news of the love of God, and we're to pattern our life of love just like God does. But we've been in these last four or five weeks looking at a different side, the flip side of the coin, and God loves us in this way, but you know the devil is opposed to us. And so it's, you know, it seems like a backwards thinking, but it's a right kind of thinking. If God loves us like this... We know that there's an enemy that opposes us and we'll read a scripture in a moment that tells us we're wise if we figure out those things. And so we began with the uh, idea that the devil dis misses us and in uh, just modern language the word dis means to speak critically of to dismiss and to say is not important and so this is where we've got this whole dis idea coming in today to to bring to you he would disqualify us and we know what we were never qualified to begin with it's the blood of Jesus it's the cross and his resurrection that qualifies us. Uh, The devil would bring disunity to us and try to divide us and get us to focus more on what makes us different than what makes us one. And last week we talked about disappointments and how that that can actually come and uh, waylay us, get us off track, get our eyes off the Lord, just take us out of the way. And we learned that God's delay is not his denial. God is with us. So let your disappointments just Let God work that out through you and with you. And knowing that God is for you and he loves you. And so why would we be focusing on the devil? Well, Ephesians 2 verse 11, Paul said, To keep Satan from taking advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes and in the church in Ephesus there had been a situation where um, someone had done some very wrong things and now was in need of forgiveness and Paul said to not forgive the man would trip everything up and not only him but yourselves and that that was one of the schemes of the enemy. So we can't be ignorant of the devil's devices so we're just going to expose that. The devil would like nothing more than to just be in darkness and not have the light of God's truth shine upon him. He would rather you ignore him and not even think that he's at work, but we're not ignorant of his devices. We're gonna know what he's up to, and then we can spot those things when they come into our lives, and we can go, uh-oh, okay, I'm not gonna fall for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the way of the Lord. So today, I'm going to take yet another dis that the devil brings to us, and this is something that might come to, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't know that was in my pocket. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, that's just, that's just life in the 21st century, isn't it? Okay, so as I, was, as I was saying, I want to talk yet another thing that the devil would diss us with. He will, sorry, I got to take this. Um, hello? Oh, Oh, it's probably China. I don't know. <laughs> the devil will take every opportunity to distract you. And in this modern age of distraction, it's always with us. Psalms chapter 5 verse 3 says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. But in this age, when there are myriads, multitudes of distractions around us, it might be just a little bit more truthful to say, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, right after I check my phone right, if truth be told, and so there's lots of things that can distract us, life is just full of things, I'm not necessarily picking on telephones, although they can be distracting, Um, but the things that distract us, the real core things in our life that, that the devil can use to get us off course, when we're distracted, we lose traction, and we are on a journey of faith with God, we're going someplace, right? And if we get distracted, we can find ourselves right off course, right on the side of the road, parked and not going forward with God. So we want to be sure that we are aware of the distractions that can come our way. The devil doesn't have to actually tempt you into gross sin to get you out of the way. He, he just has to distract you enough to get you off the main thing. He, just needs to make you ineffective because your attention is somewhere else and we're going to talk today about the seeds of distraction that are actually inherent in life. You don't even see them. It's just there are always the seeds of distraction. There is always the potential to get off of the, of the main thing. The devil distracts but God directs. God wants us to be focused. He wants to have us go in the direction that he has designed for us. To uh, distract is to draw away the tension, to divide the mind, to, to cause confusion, to cause somebody to be in two minds. Have you ever watched a magician do his magic tricks? Maybe the sleight of hand and he's got one thing and then he pulls it out of somewhere else. What is the devil doing when he distracts us? It's like a magician. It gets you to look at one thing so that you don't notice the main thing over there. He's trying to get your focus somewhere else. And that's that's what he will do. So we're not ignorant of those devices. Absolutely. Okay, when I was a new believer, um, I I got saved when I was 15 years old. And I didn't have any church background to speak of that... That prepared me for the Christian life. So I was just absolutely open to everything that God would do. And in my early years, God would speak to me in open visions. What's an open vision? It's like having a dream, but you're wide awake, you know? And so I was praying and I saw this before my eyes. God showed me this staircase. It was a polished granite, like just like mirror kind of staircase, beautiful stairs leading upwards. But all around on the sides of that staircase was darkness, and I had the sense that it was just like, you know, an abyss on either side. And what was unique about this this set of stairs is that there were no guardrails and no handrails. There was nothing except the set of stairs. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and He said, this is your life. This is your path for life and that you need to stay right on the path and not go too far to the left, not too far to the right. Stay right in the middle, keep going, and you will be safe, and you will go well. And I, wow, you know, that was quite a thing to have. And then later on, as I actually got to reading my Bible, it took a while to get through it as a new believer, I read Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, and it says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet, Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So, what essentially does that proverb say? It says, don't get distracted. Don't get off the path. You are going somewhere with God. God has a plan for your life. He has something for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. And we can get distracted and pulled this way and pulled that way, the affairs of life, the the things that happen in life. But we're going to talk more about what happens inside of us in life. That's, That's the thing that can actually distract you. So how does the devil distract us? Well, number one, he distracts us with the cares of life. And we're going to read the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4. It's also in other gospels. But we'll just read it from this one particular chapter in Mark. We're not talking about the responsibilities of life. The responsibilities are not distractions. We have families. We have jobs. We have homes. We have things that we have to do. And sometimes it's a lot to do. But those aren't the real distractions. And they're not even the burdens that we have in life because we live in an imperfect world and um, as matt said earlier life doesn't always go the way we think it will and sometimes things happen to us but it's a lot more important what happens in us and if those things that happen to us cause a, a detrimental effect inside of us and it lasts too long those become real distractions so We become distracted by life itself when we don't respond in the way that God would have us to respond or if it takes us a long way, a long time to get to that place. And when we are distracted, we lose traction, we lose ground, and we can't keep going like we need to go. So the things will happen to us, but what really matters is what happens inside of us. And in Mark's chapter four in his gospel there, he talks about the four types of soil. I'm sure you're really familiar with this soil. So he talks about the, the seed that was sown along the roadside or the pathway. And if you've ever been in, uh, in a rural area, you'll see how that the ground gets compressed when feet are walking up and down on it all the time. And so that's not going to be able to germinate, that soil. And then then he talks about the rocky soil, where there's just no moisture, and roots can't even get a a start there because they can't um, get anything to nourish the, the plant. And then there's the thorny soil, which I want to come back to, and the good soil, where when the seed goes into the good soil, well, it can flourish. But it's really worth talking about the thorny soil, and sometimes we just skip over that and as I was reading that and thinking about my own life and some of the things that have happened to me and things that I've seen, I began to see there's a truth here that we maybe pass over too quickly. And the thorny soil is the place where we can have distractions. And I just want to use this phrase: the weeds, the seeds of the weeds are in the soil. The seeds of the weeds are in the in the soil and so let me just uh, read from Mark chapter 4 verse 7 it says other seeds fell among thorns and shot up and crowded the young plants so that they produced no grain you see that soil it wasn't apparent It wasn't like the farmer was just throwing it into thorns the thorns were yet in seed form they were dormant And there are dormant thorns everywhere in life. And sometimes there's dormant seeds inside of our own lives and that we're not yet aware of. And when the thorns grow up with the good seed, as the the scripture says here, they compete with the good seed and they choke out the life of the plants that you really want growing. And that's how distractions are. They'll choke out the life of, of the growth of God when we, uh, oh, years ago, back when our, our second child was born, we lived on some acreage, and we weren't farmers, we didn't grow up as farmers, but Yuma, Arizona is a rural area, and we wanted to try the farm life. And mostly what was growing around us was cotton, but in front of us was a plot of land of five acres that the farmer, whose land it was, he would use for germinating special hybrid seed. So I thought that was fascinating. I was just so interested in what they're doing. And before the crop was planted in Arizona, and Yuma in particular, they do flood irrigation rather than sprinklers. So the Colorado River, just before it goes into the Gulf of Mexico, flows through Yuma, and a series of canals are in that city, and so you can just they can just bring the water into the fields. And so the farmer brought the water into this particular field, flooded it, looked like a giant lake out in front of the house, And then he just let it go. And that that field had been dormant for a long time. And I watched, waited, when are they gonna plant? You know, I heard it was gonna be broccoli. I was thinking that's gonna be interesting to watch. And what he was doing is he was flooding the field so that the dormant seeds of weeds would actually germinate. And all those weeds came up to the surface and they popped through and started to grow. And then the farmer came and plowed those out And then a second time, he flooded that field, and he let the other weed seeds that were still there, hadn't sprouted, come up. And then he plowed them under. And then finally, he put the good seed. So the seeds of weeds were in that soil. He knew that. I didn't. It looked like beautiful farm soil ready to go. And you know, that's that's just how our life is. You don't know where there's seeds for weeds you don't know but do you know what we have some insider knowledge here we don't have to be ignorant of the things that can happen to us and we can allow the holy spirit to flood our souls on a regular basis and when we live and remain full of the holy spirit and him abiding in us then those seeds can kind of get pointed out we go oh that doesn't belong that's an attitude that doesn't please god oh that's a wound that i'm still hanging on to and and you become aware, but when we, when we kind of just stay outside the uh, things of God, when we just kind of don't give attention to that inner self and that inner life and having God give attention to us where we need it, then things can start to germinate and get going in our lives. And as we continue in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says, But all too quickly the attractions of this world, the delights of wealth and the search for success and the lure of nice things, come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. All those things that were just named in that passage of scripture are not necessarily harmful or sinful, but when they're brought to an excess, when they become more important in our life and the why that they become more important, guess what? The word of God, the life of God gets choked out. Those weed seeds get to become dominant in there. And the message of God is crowded out of our hearts. We begin to not understand why am I here and what purpose does God have for my life? And the end result is no crop is produced. Unfruitfulness there. The apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, wrote these words that I think are particularly sad in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. You know, in such an incredibly important time in Paul's life, which was the end of his life, this great apostle that had just given up everything for the cause of Christ and gone further in giving up for the church himself, uh, sacrificing himself in every way, when he needed comfort and strength, someone who was a close associate wasn't there with him. He, he wanted something else. So Demas lost that opportunity to minister to the, the apostle Paul. Those weed seeds were in him. He decided it's all too much. Paul's done. I don't know what he thought actually, but it's sad in that respect. And then Paul actually had to deal with the disappointment as well, because at a time when he could have used the help and he'd said to Timothy, make every effort to come soon, because he knew Timothy wouldn't let him down and he needed him there. So, the lost opportunity the the loss of a friend and so we can talk about the things that matter most to us what's important what's priority in our lives but it's what we actually do that proves it and does that mean we're unfaithful does it mean we just don't care that we just you know not as good of a Christian as we hope we would be no I think that we just sometimes get distracted Sometimes we just get our minds and our hearts off of what should be the main thing in our life and something lures us away. It's the devil's sleight of hand. Look here, look there. That, that's what matters. In this respect, I think worldly things are something that can really drag us away. But there's other things that are distractions. And I think for every one of us, it's unique. And I know I won't be covering everything that distracts us as individuals. That's a matter for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, I would say. But I'd like to look at Martha and Mary, two very favorite women of mine that teach us so much. And the next two points will be from the passage of Scripture that I'll read now. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha Now, I don't know how you feel when you read that verse of Scripture. It kind of depends on how you're wired. Are you a Mary? Are you a Martha? Which one are you? You know, because we could have a show of hands in here. I think I'm more of a Martha, but I'd like to be more of a Mary. And I just love that that stands in the Scripture for us as an example. But the thing that I'd like to point out here, my second point, is that we can be distracted by a busy life. Okay? And again, uh, and Martha was distracted as much serving is what it says and Mary had chosen one thing that was necessary so is it actually the things of life that are so distracting I mean you may be in a very busy busy season of life we have parents here today some of you with very small children you are in perhaps the busiest season of life and you wouldn't call those little people that run around your house distractions but you do get distracted and sometimes it's a, it's a deeper thing that goes on about um, the distractions that come your way. I think the, the devil would like to see nothing better than for you to be running on empty all the time because you're running everywhere all the time anyway and now you're running on empty. But maybe there's a deeper reason to that busyness uh, aside from the fact that life sometimes is very full. Some of us stay busy because it's tied to our significance. And if we're busy enough, that means we're important, we matter, what we do, who am I, what do I do? And that is in itself a distraction. And so it's not so much the what we do or what we don't do or what we don't get done, it's more about the why that actually matters and can it actually turn into a distraction. Sometimes we are overly committed, that's the truth. If you're in a season of life where there's a lot of other things that are top shelf important to you, there's other things that just have to go because you're human and you just cannot possibly do it all and sometimes we don't want to let people down, that's a distraction. We don't want them to be disappointed into us or think we're not capable or whatever thing we have, these are distractions that enter into our soul that just complicate matters so much more. The seeds for weeds are there, they're just there in life. But the third thing I wanna bring out that are distractions and and with this same passage of scripture is the distraction of offense and unresolved emotional issues. That is something that we are all prone to be taken out by. And I just like to say a word in defense of Martha, all you Martha fans out there is the fact that what Martha was doing was actually the right thing. And what Mary was doing in a cultural sense was the wrong thing. It was a tremendous honor to have Jesus and his disciples in their home. And it was their responsibility to serve them and to offer hospitality in the best way possible. And for Mary to go sit at Jesus' feet, she was really taking some territory that was culturally um, not acceptable. That's that's the place where the disciples would sit at the feet of the rabbi and listen to him, and she put aside what was her responsibilities, technically, and went sat at the feet of Jesus. So when Martha got so hot under the collar, and in her annoyance said to Jesus, "Don't you care? Tell her to help me." I mean, she must have been really fuming to say that to Jesus. That was quite a statement to say and you could see that it had got to her it got beyond you know she was right but she was so wrong in how she was right and we can get to a place where we might have resentments that just you know we are right but we get so wrong within because we've become resentful of the person or the circumstance or the boss or the job or or the home life or whatever the thing is and we just get distracted and now instead of looking here we're there You know, and where you look, have you ever noticed, have you ever rode a bicycle or done anything like that that requires you to have a direction for what you're doing? Where you look is where you'll go. And so if you're looking at the distraction, that's where you're gonna go rather than looking in the direction that you're supposed to go. So we may have and experience emotional wounds in life and we may actually be truly been wronged and hard done by, that happens. But what is our response? And is it going to become an overwhelming distraction? Will it become the thing that that's all you can think about? And you wish you couldn't think about it, but that's all you can think about. And of course, all the accompanying emotions and the stress and the anxiety and the moods and all the things that come because these things have not been resolved well. And you know, on Encounter, there's not a more important, uh, I think, in my opinion, uh, teaching that we have is on resolving of forgiveness and bitterness on dealing with rejection these are just basic to our Christian walk and if we don't have those dealt with well and process through them well then we are going to be distracted for life absolutely distracted and we will get off track we'll lose traction and not be able to continue through. And so Jesus wants us to do well. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Any runner that is going to run fast can have weights. In the ancient world, they would disrobe to do their running. In our modern world, they wear these fancy lycra so that they're streamlined because they want to run fast. And we can't afford to let anything be hanging on our lives that distracts us and weighs us down and keeps us from doing what we need to do. The devil distracts, but God directs. How does he direct? How does he help us in this matter? He tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I'll read in the moment from Hebrews 12 verse 2 that says to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ and we need to remind ourselves of that. And when we get distracted we need to come back to that. I have had seasons in my life when I have been distracted, especially with emotional wounds. You live long enough on planet Earth, you're going to get hurt. You're going to have things happen to you that you will feel deeply and they will hurt and they will distract. And I've had those times where I have just like, I'm so tired of thinking like this. I'm so tired of bearing this. And you know, I come good when I come to the point that say, Jesus, my life is yours. I belong to you. Anything else that happens to me really doesn't matter in the light of the fact that I'm yours, that I'm someday going to live in heaven with you for all of eternity. My life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. And so I would say the cure for distraction then is to come back to a total commitment to Jesus Christ. Let that be solid in your life. Says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look to Jesus, lean into Jesus, look to him and say, Lord, help me right now because I'm drowning in distractions, but I'm coming back to you. And so what does it mean to really be a follower of Jesus Christ? That means to make a genuine, heartfelt commitment to Jesus. That means to love him and serve him above anything else and no matter what. And it's a dedication to a lifetime of continual transformation to be made like him. So it means living through rough times. It means putting aside distractions. It means working through, through those things that we need to work through if we're going to be followers of Jesus. A commitment is such a powerful thing. And it will help you get through the distractions of your life. To commit is to bind yourself to course of an action and say, I am a follower of Jesus. Even if none go with me, I still will follow. If it's unpopular, if it's not easy, I still will follow him. It's something that you're going to do and going to say a strong no to some things so you can say a firm yes to Jesus Christ. A commitment to Jesus is the filter for everything else that happens in your life, the good things and the wonderful things that good things can distract as well, you know. And it's for the difficult things as well, and it's for the stuff that you need to leave behind you because you said yes to Jesus. If we're going to say a firm yes, we also have to say a firm no" to some things. Jesus talked about denying yourself to take up your cross and to follow him. Matthews, the tax collector, who did just that on the invitation of Jesus Christ to come and be my disciple. And in Luke chapter 5, the calling of Matthew is recorded. It says, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and left everything and began to follow him. So as I I said just previously, just like Matthew did, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, there's some things that we leave behind initially But I'd say we also have to leave some things behind continually. Sometimes there's things we're holding on to. In my family, learning about forgiveness was a new thing to me when I became a Christian. Because in my family, you held a grudge and you held it for the rest of your life. And sometimes my parents would actually get heated up as they rehearsed something that happened to them 20 years prior. And they would just be talking about it sitting there in the kitchen. And, you know, my dad would pound the table and I'm thinking... Wow, you know, and that's how I was raised. I didn't know you could forgive and let go of something and go forward in your life, but we can. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we need to do. We make this genuine commitment to forsake things behind us and follow on to him. And the thing that we also saw Matthew do is he made a defining start. He got up, everybody saw it. It was a public testimony of his life. And sometimes when we're trying to get through something, it's good thing to tell some, a trusted friend, someone in our life saying, you know, I have struggled with that, but I'm leaving it behind me. I'm going to go forward for Jesus. And it was a public thing. That's what Matthew did. And I could recommend that to you, that maybe in, a, in certain instances, that that's an appropriate thing that will really help you to say, I, I have felt this way. I've struggled with this. I've done this thing, but I'm leaving it behind so that I can embrace Jesus and then finally, what Matthew did is that he followed Jesus. He followed on, and he, and he finished well. And that's God's will for each one of us, that not only we follow him continually, but that in the end we finish well, that we're not sidetracked, that we're not left behind. A few days after this is recorded in Luke's gospel that Jesus went out and he prayed all night, and he had a lot of people following him at that time, but he chose 12 to come and be with him, to be his inner core of disciples and these who would become the apostles of the church. Matthew was in that number. He made a certain definite commitment. And I pray today, if you're struggling in any way, if you're distracted in any way, that today the Lord will help you as he says, come follow me, that you'll get up and you'll make that decision. You'll make that choice and you'll follow him, and you'll follow him strong, and you'll follow him sure, and you'll follow him in the way that will get you through from one thing to the next thing. Can I pray for you as we finish? And I'm praying for myself as well. Lord, we just thank you that you are with us, always with us, and Lord, you have called us to follow you. And so, Lord, we walk in your footsteps, Jesus, and we walk in the way that you have designed for us. And Lord, you have told us not to be distracted. You've said to let our eyes be straight on, to not look to the left or to the right. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us in those things that distract us. Lord, I pray for anyone that might be struggling with some emotional wound or something that is a big barrier, I just pray, Father, that you would just touch their lives right now, that they would feel your presence, and that you'd help them through this hard spot and bring them to a place of real victory and real freedom. Lord, we love you. We commit our lives to you again afresh right now in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.